seen the memes that take two pictures and kind of compare them to one another. And one of the pictures is going to be how it started. And then the other picture is going to be how it's going. And some of them are kind of funny, right? It's like, wow, that, you know, that didn't turn out the way that person wanted that, that to go. Some of them are very inspiring. You see people that maybe they started out and and in in one way in life, I saw one the other day, man, as a little kid, and he was flying on a plane, and then he became the pilot, right? So that's how it started, and then that's how it's going. Some of them are, um, are kind of tragic, right? <laughs> you, you, you look at them, and you go, whew, that's where we were, and this is where we are. And so if you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday, you can probably appreciate this one right here that was kind of flying around this week, but Travis Kelsey on the sideline, like screaming at the coach and bumping Andy Reid right there, and then after about a seven and a half hour game in overtime, you know, they win the game and he's hugging the coach and he's loving the church, the coach. So that's how it started. And then that's how it's going. And I look at that and I go, Taylor, what are you doing, man? Right. It's, that is a breakup song waiting to happen right there is, is what's going on in that picture. Right. So you've probably seen those things, how it started and how it's going. So if you could post a picture of how the church in America is going. What would that image look like? If we could make it more local, if you could kind of capture a snapshot of how you feel like liberty is going, what would that image look like? Let's get personal. What if you could capture an image of how your walk with Christ is going? Where it started, where it's going, how it's going. What, what would be that image of where you say you are in your relationship with Christ right now? So we obviously don't have any pictures of the beginning of the church, but we do have the story. And that story is written in Acts chapter 2. And there's lots of sounds, there's lots of images, there's some really powerful things that are happening here in Acts chapter 2 that show us how it all started. And so if I'm going to take a summation of how the church started, let me just kind of pull some things in this image that you need to pay attention to. Check this out. Here's how it started. The church started with them praying for 10 days. They've been praying for 10 days days. They didn't sing a single song. There was no band. There was no worship music. There was, there was no singers. They didn't sing a single song. Man, everybody in the room probably liked this one right here, right? Peter preached for a minute and 27 seconds before people started moving. You're like, okay, where do you see that? Well, if, if you, you read from verse 14 where Peter begins preaching... And you go down to verse 36 where people started moving and responding to what he was saying. It's about 22 verses. That took me one minute and 27 seconds to read. So imagine him preaching for a minute and 27 seconds. And then all of a sudden, these people start moving. They prayed for 10 days. They didn't sing a single song. He preaches for a minute and 27 seconds, and over 3,000 people are saved. That's how it started. Wow. 
And if I were to, to pare that all down into one single sentence, uh, single sentence to capture that image, I would, I would say this. The church started as a move of the Holy Spirit of God. That's how it started. But I want to ask a question throughout the sermon today as we go through this passage of Scripture. And that question is, if that's how it started, how's it going? The church in America... Liberty Baptist Church, your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How did you see how it started? How's it going? And maybe as we go through this image and this story of how the church started, maybe we can see some corrective measures that, and I would say probably, I, I could speak for everybody on this, we really want to see what it's really supposed to be about. We do want to know the Lord. We do want to see the real thing. We want to experience what only God can do. And maybe if we would not just have the only frame of reference being how it's going, but if we could see how it started, maybe there's some things that we need to get back to that the Lord would move in. And so I want to invite you to go through this passage with me. And I want to call attention to a couple of things. Number one, how it started the, st- the church started with people praying. People praying. Go back to Acts chapter 1, and actually I'd, I'd go back to verse 12, or actually verse 14, and it says, All those who were with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They're with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. Why are they doing that? They wind up praying for 10 days. Why? What are they praying about? Here's what they're praying about. First of all, Jesus gives them a command. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. John baptized with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the command is, you wait right here, And you wait for the promise of the Father. Watch the promise. Look at verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I would summarize that like this. They obeyed what Jesus said, and they prayed until God did what he said he would do. And you'll see this pattern all the way through the book of Acts, all the way through the New Testament. If you read how the the church, how it it began to be going, how it it developed, I would say here was the pattern. They obey the commands. They will encounter continuous problems. You'll see all sorts of issues in the book of Acts. There's logistical issues. There's provision issues. There's persecution There's a lot of problems when you try to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. They, they, listen, they do not continuously encounter prosperity. They continuously encounter problems. So they obey the commands. They encounter continuous problems. They pray according to God's promises. So so they've searched the scripture. You see in Acts chapter 4, they're praying Psalm chapter 2. They're getting back in the word of God. Here's my problem, God. This is what you said you would do. And so the end of the pattern is this. They will wait for the spirit to move. They obey the command. They encounter the problems. They pray for the promises and they wait for God's spirit to move. Now I want you to to look at that pattern right there. And I want you to ask this question about your own family. 
If that was your approach, what would God do? What about our church? If that were the approach, if we used the approach that we see in Scripture in our church, what might God do? That's how it started. But how's it going? The church in America, even sometimes us here at Liberty, maybe even sometimes in your own personal life, we're not as given to prayer as we are to production and to programming. We, we want a very predictable result. And I want you to think about this. Prayer's hard. Prayer is, it takes engagement. It requires sacrifice. You have to say no to something to pray about something for 10 days, right? But, but do you think if, if, if that's the way it started, do you think you could go anywhere right now and capture an image of a church praying for 10 days? And I'm not talking about a church came up with a social media campaign where everybody's supposed to pray for 10 days. I'm talking about a church meeting to pray for 10 days saying we're not moving until God does. Could you find that in the United States of America? I'll tell you what you find a whole lot of because we're not very prayerful. We have to try to produce these things and production and programming is so much safer for us. As humans, we are natural born idolaters. We like to control what we think God should do, don't we? The way we think God should look, the way we, what we think God should say, what we think God should produce. And production is so much easier than prayer because, let's face it, praying and waiting on God is awkward, y'all. You ever done it? It's just like, how long am I going to be praying about this, right? When? It, it, man, we get very impatient. Sometimes it's awkward because you don't quite know what God is doing. Production and programming is much easier. Production, you can put a time stamp on it, you can assign the task to someone, and you know how much it costs. We can either do it or we can't. That's production. Programming. Most people, man, if you want to see God move in your life, most people would rather buy a workbook and give me 12 weeks and let me figure it out, right? I'll either come and do the workbook and go home and do the homework or not, right? It's, just, it's very safe. I know I'm going to be in in an hour and out in an hour, or I'm going to show up on a Sunday morning and we'll be done by lunch, right? You, that kind of programming, I did that, I did that, I did that. That's very different than prayer. What will God do? But this is how it started. And this is how it's going. And I, I want you to look at what happened after they prayed for 10 days. Man, God moved in a powerful way. And we're going to talk about one of the problems that stares them right in the face. Hey, listen, God never commanded you to produce or program your way out of the problems. And God knew if you followed him, you'd encounter all kinds of problems. He gave you one thing to do, turn to him in prayer. Can you imagine what might happen in your life, what might happen in your family if you go back to that, to that pattern of we're going to follow the commands, we're going to encounter the problems, 
We are going to get in scripture and search for the promises of God. And we are going to sit here and pray until God does what only God can do. Can you imagine what might happen in your life? Can you imagine what might happen in this church if that's the way it was going, right? We do a, we do a prayer meeting the first Sunday afternoon of every month. We'll have one coming up in a couple of weeks in March. I'd love it if all of you would be here. It's, it's an hour. It's not 10. You're like, good gosh, if you're gonna, it's an hour. But I love one of the things that Bob said in our Experiencing God class on Wednesday night. He was quoting some of the things in the book of Acts. If you were here, you caught it. But this is what he said. Bob said, if liberty wants to see God shake this community, you must learn to devote yourself to hours and hours of prayer. Prayer. Not programming. Not production. But prayer. What might God do. He loves to move when his people pray. That's how it started. Number two, how it started, the spirit moving. Acts chapter two, verses one through four. Boom, here it comes after 10 days of prayer. When the day of Pentecost arrived, this is 50 days after the resurrection. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That right there is the birth of the church. That's how it started. And that is a pivotal moment in the program of God. And if you go back through Scripture, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you will always see the Spirit moving when God is about to begin something new. Acts chapter 1 verse 2, the Bible says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's darkness, there's chaos, but before the first word of creation, you see the Spirit begin moving. When Jesus is baptized, Matthew chapter 3 verse 16, before he begins his public ministry, before he does his first miracle, before he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. You see Jesus being risen up out of those baptismal waters. The heavens open up, the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And don't miss what Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 says. The heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit descending like a dove coming to, and look at the word, rest on him. And that is a key phrase because up until that point, the Spirit of God had rested on no one. The Spirit of God had empowered. The Spirit of God had moved people to prophesy. The Spirit of God had used and sustained and done miracles. He would kind of come and go all the way through the Old Testament. Well, you'd never seen the Holy Spirit of God rest on someone. And so when the Holy Spirit of God rested on Jesus, that is so significant because think about what we talked about last couple of weeks in John 14, 15, and 16 when Jesus said, now I'm going to go, but it's going to be to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You can go back and listen to that message. It's really important. But remember that idea that Jesus is the one on whom the Spirit rests, and then Jesus tells them, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to go back and pay attention to Acts chapter 2 and watch this. Acts chapter 2, verse 3. 
divided tongues as a fire appeared to them. And what's your word there? Rested on them. Now the same Holy Spirit that rested on Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that rests on his people because Jesus has poured out his spirit according to prophecies. Peter quotes them, Joel, Joel chapter two. We read about it and prayed about it just a few moments ago. That's what the spirit is doing. We talked about last week. God is not interested in platforming only certain people. He did not say, I will pour out my spirit on, let's see, you and maybe you and a couple of you and that guy over there, you, right? What did he say? What did we learn last week? He said, I'll pour out my spirit on y'all, all of you. This is it. The Holy Spirit of God rests on them. The church started with the spirit moving. In people. So I know that I'm going to sound critical when I say this, but we've got to have a frame of reference on how it started compared to how it's going. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, You'll receive power, and then don't miss this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I want you to look at this next phrase. Did he say you might be witnesses? What does it say right there? You will. You will be witnesses. And the church right now is having a struggle with witnessing, right? We, we, I was in a conference this weekend, and I think they said like 90% of people here in the church have never shared their, their faith with anyone. It's like, wow, golly, that's, that's amazing, right? And so we're trying to do all kinds of things to connect with the community and all kinds of strategies to reach the world and, 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 and trying to, to do things. And, and I want, man, when the spirit is not moving, all we have, y'all, is marketing. That's it. We're trying to appeal the community. We're trying to, hey, man, try to, you know, connect and, and all this kind of stuff. And we're trying to, to tell people, hey, get over your fears and, and share the gospel. And so, listen, if you'll go memorize this, and here's about 12 weeks for you to be able to do that. So, listen, I, look, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Do you see there that he says, I'll give you a workbook, and you will be witnesses for me? Did he say, watch this set of videos, and then you'll be witnesses for me? He doesn't. He said, when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, he says, you not might be. He said, you will be witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. Do you need a strategy? Those of you, how many of you have grandchildren? Will you raise your hand if you have grandchildren? Right, that's pretty awesome. Do you need a strategy for talking about your grandchildren and sharing about your grandchildren to other people? Do you? You probably don't, right? How about those of you who have children? Raise your hand if you have children. Man, proud of your kids. Do you need a strategy when your child accomplishes something for you to share with everybody at the office what your child did and how they're the best in the world at what they do? They don't. Hey, you need a strategy for talking about your favorite college football team? Gabe, hush. <laughs> we've, we've heard enough out of you, right? Uh, Hunter, y'all need to go count the money or something, right? You don't, you, man, when you're fired up about your team, you, man, you, 
You don't need a strategy to do that. Listen, if the Holy Spirit of God fills you and you see God moving in your life and scripture is blowing up and you're praying about things and God is doing things. I've talked to several of you through this experiencing God thing where you like trusted the Lord in something and you saw him do it. And, and here's the next words that come out of that person's mouth. I told everybody. No workbook for that. When the Holy Spirit of God is moving, listen, y'all, we won't need a Super Bowl ad to reach the world. Spirit-filled people will move out and they will tell their friends and their neighbors and their family what God is doing in their life. And they will invite them into that spirit, that experience. The Spirit of God, how it started was the Spirit of God moving. Listen, in the upper room. Y'all, if we're going to reach the world, we don't need a move of God out there as much as we need to start with a move of God in here. It's, it's y'all, me, that the Spirit of God has got to fill and to move. How it started, Christ-centered preaching. Christ-centered preaching. Man, if you see Peter preaching, starting in verse 14, man, he is bringing a word, and he is pointing people to Jesus over and over and over again for a minute and 27 seconds. <laughs> it's fantastic. He's quoting Scripture, and he's telling them, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus is doing. And the Holy Spirit of God makes all the difference in the sermon. The first thing the Holy Spirit of God does in the sermon is he solves the immediate problem. He speaks to a problem they have right there. I want you to think about this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I want you to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now look at Acts chapter 2, verse 6. Why are they bewildered? Because verse 5, there's devout men there from every nation under heaven. There's people coming all over the place to this holy day called Pentecost. And then in verse 6, the sound of the multitude came together. They're bewildered. Why? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And then they're amazed and astonished because they say, are these not all speaking Galileans? So two issues we see right here. One, these are all Galilean fishermen. In other words, they're saying these guys have hardly been out of the county, much less to the uttermost parts of the earth. The other side of it is they're not bilingual. These are not educated men. They've never been to university. They've never sat under a scholar. The Galileans are... They're hicks at best. I mean, you can hear them when they talk, right? They, they got it all over them. These are uneducated Galileans. And then all of a sudden, they're preaching. Each one is preaching in a different language according to the people that are here. And immediately, the Holy Spirit of God solves a logistical issue. How are you going to get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth through Galileans? He'll just give them the ability to speak other languages. That's stuff only the Holy Spirit of God can do. And the other thing that happens is he makes the preaching effective. Man, he preaches a minute, 27 seconds, and all of a sudden, man, people are cut to the heart, and they're asking the question, what must we do to be saved? There's an interesting side note in this story. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, uh, Acts chapter 1 as compared to Acts chapter 2, and I think it's there because it shows you Here's the difference in Peter after the Holy Spirit of God comes upon him than before the Holy Spirit of God comes upon him. Because it's kind of a strange little story that down in verse 15 of chapter 1, while they're in this 10-day prayer meeting, it tells you they're gathered and there's 120 people that are in the room. And Peter stands up, man. Peter is going to assert his leadership. And first of all, he brings up something that is logical. 
Completely logical. There were 12 of us. Judas betrayed Jesus. He took his own life. Now there's 11. We don't have a quorum for the committee, right? We, we need to replace this guy, right? We, we need a new treasurer to replace Judas. Logical. And it's scriptural, dude. I mean, he starts talking scripture here. He starts quoting scripture. Before it's written, verse 20. May his camp become desolate. Let there be no one to dwell in it. Let another take his office. Hey, listen, y'all, they're prayerful. You go to verse 23, they put forward two. They put forward a guy named Joseph, and they put a guy named Matthias, and they said, okay, verse 24, they prayed. This is a perfect Baptist meeting, right? It's logical. We need to solve a problem. It's scriptural. Here's a couple of Bible verses that shows you we're on the right track. It's prayerful. Dear Lord, bless us as we make this decision, and they throw the dice, and the lot falls on Matthias. Now, let's do some Bible quiz time real quick. Which book of the New Testament did Matthias write? Peter wrote some. No, no book of Matthias, no gospel of court, right? What, what message did he preach? Man, we see them all the way through the book of Acts. They're preaching. Who did he baptize? Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. What about Matthias? Who did he baptize? Hey, listen, you read your Bible, this guy is never mentioned again. So before the Holy Spirit of God, Peter's a great leader. He's logical. He's scriptural. He's prayerful. The decision is completely inconsequential. And how many times have we seen it in the church? We got a problem. Dab a little scripture over it. Pray a little bit over it. God, oh. We meet over it about five minutes. We take a vote, and that must be it. And it's a completely inconsequential decision to the future of what God's trying to do amongst his people. But then the Holy Spirit falls. And Peter rises up, and he preaches Jesus for a minute and 27 seconds. And the church is born and I want you to notice the effectiveness of this message because the Bible does not say they looked at Peter and said, Peter, how must we improve our lives? The church started with the question, what must we do to be saved? But I feel like in this modern era of church production and programming and all of these things, what we really say is conviction is really dissatisfaction. I'm dissatisfied with my life. I'm not as happy as I want to be. I've got some problems and I've got some issues and I need God to help me solve them. And so really what we're telling people is the gospel is to help dissatisfied people improve their lives. So they didn't ask, how much must we improve our lives? I want you to notice what they asked. What must we do to be saved? Because these people realize under that kind of preaching of Jesus, they were under the wrath of God and headed to hell. They didn't want to improve their life. They wanted to forsake it. And so the answer, Peter didn't say, here's the workbook. Here's the video. Take the class. He said, repent. Repent. He said, and be baptized. And then the 
Holy Spirit will fill your life. Repent. Not improve. Repent. And that's so critical. Because I think if you go outside of, of many churches in America, man, you maybe even stand outside of this one sometimes and, and you poll people coming out. Hey, what'd you think about the service? Oh man, the music was, whew, was good. What'd you think about the message? On point. I took down some things, man, I need to, I need to do th some things. Listen, if you stood outside the church and you were to ask people this question, what did you repent of? Because how it started was with people asking, what must I do to be saved? You need to repent. But the way it's going is you have a lot of people who are leaving some amazing worship experiences, enamored with the music, blown away by the sermon. But if you look at their lives, they are not obedient to the word. Why? Because they like the music and they took down some cool things from the sermon because all they're really trying to do is improve their dissatisfied life and raise their level of happiness. But the word of God calls you to repent of sin or perish. That's how it started. But the way it's going, here's an interesting question. This question is not original to me, but if the Holy Spirit of God were to withdraw his presence, would the church in America even know it? Or could we do next Sunday what we did this Sunday and get the same result? People enamored with the music, people blown away by the message, people thinking they have encountered God, but people remaining unfruitful and disobedient in their walk with Christ because they have not repented of sin. The church began not as a program to improve your dissatisfied life. The church began answering the question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants to do in your life. He is not trying to improve you. He wants to save you. Repent. So the church started with lost people repenting. And the church also started with Christians committing. The church started with Christians committing. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So what happens to these Holy Spirit-filled people? What do they do next? Look at this, verse 42. They devoted themselves. You know what devoted themselves means? It means they changed their schedule. It means they prioritized their lives. It means what you're about to read next comes first. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and God begins to move. This is how it started. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, by day those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to discipleship, to worship, to fellowship, and to stewardship. They devoted them. They changed their lives. They changed their schedule. They changed the, like their content. Man, we're going to get in the Word. We're going to learn this thing, right? We're going to learn it. We were at a men's conference this weekend in Birmingham. I'm going to quote one of the things that I heard Rick Burgess say that I, I thought was really good. I've heard him say it before, but he said, you know, and especially with men, you'll hear this, well, man, I'm not really a reader. Not really a reader. But you can tell somebody everything about a deer or a fish, bass fishing. You can tell everybody about bass fishing. Man, why? Because when you value something, you give yourself to studying it. There's some of you know every high school kid who was just recruited by your team. You know every one of them. Why? Because you read it. You went and researched it out. You spent time studying it, right? So listen, if you value it, you'll devote yourself to it, right? Listen, the Holy Spirit of God moving in those people, they willingly change their schedule. Stewardship, you don't have to beg for an offering when the Holy Spirit of God is moving. You don't. Man, they're looking at their lives. They're pulling stuff out of their pocket going, man, how can God use this? We'll give that to you, right? There you go. Let's see what God might do. It's incredible. And they have no strategy to connect to the community. And yet verse 47, they're praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, it's just blowing up because the way it started was a move of the Spirit of God. So let's get back to personal for just a moment. If you were to take a meme of how your walk with Christ started and then how it's going, do you remember in the beginning when you just loved Jesus? And nobody had to tell you to get in the Word, nobody had to tell you to spend time with God in prayer. Nobody had to tell you, man, you need to, you know, we got a really busy weekend, but golly, we need to, we may need to, ah, we'll go to church next week. No, dude, you were here because you were fired up. You were fired up. Brian, what, I, man, I'd like to get back to that really exciting relationship that I have with Jesus again. You, need, you know what you need to do? You need to go back where you started. Repent of sin. Be obedient to Christ. Get his forgiveness and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Get back to how it started, to when you just loved Jesus and you were glad to be saved, man. What about the church? If you're like me, you're tired of all the production and you're tired of this and you're tired of that, but man, you really want to see God move. What do we got to do? Here's the workbook. No. <laughs> How do we need to see God move? Watch what God responds to. God responds when his people 
devote themselves to prayer. They encounter the problems based on the word of God and they pray for the spirit to move until God does what God has promised to do. He honors that. You can't program it. Can't program it, right? So here we are kind of as a, kind of in a weird place in our church, right? So Linda told us that she was moving on. It's probably like back in October, I think it was. She came to us and said, hey, this is what I feel like God's calling me to do. And man, I hated that, but I, I get it. You know? And if I could have drawn it up on paper, what I needed God to do today would not look like it does right now. Where we don't have anybody hired. We don't, we don't have... Like we've looked for interims and we've polled tons and tons of people and, and all that kind of stuff. And if I'd have drawn it up, here's what we're going to produce and here's what we're going to do. This is, this is the pressure that's on us is next week, y'all need to see we're going to be just fine. And so we need to produce that, right? And Linda's made it awkward for everybody. It's her fault, right? We're here. <laughs> Man, you know, we've prayed about it. You can ask the people on the personnel team, man. It's just, it's just like God goes, hey, you can pray about it. You can do whatever you want to do. You can ask whoever you want to ask. But this is where you're going to be the day she leaves. And two years ago, I'd probably been like really anxious about that. But there's something in my heart that's going, okay, God, this is where we are. Let's see what you do. David Neal's going to kind of take the interim. I don't know if y'all know anything about David. He can... Make that guitar scream, baby. But he don't sing. <laughs> Wait, what? Right? That's a godly man who loves the Lord. And he feels like, hey, the Lord's kind of, it's, it's kind of, there's a backstory of this whole thing. Let's see what God might do. Hey, y'all, listen. It may not be real polished and produced over the next couple of weeks. It may be real awkward. But are you going to pray? Seek the Lord? Get a hold of Ephesians chapter 4 and pray and see what God might do, right? Man, I think we're at a really interesting time in our church where God's going, you know, hey. Shannon described it in Experiencing God as chapter 13. And chapter 13 is called, Did You Really Get It? Right? I think God's brought us to this point to go, what you going to do? Are you going to keep trying to produce because that's the way the church wants it to be going? It's safer. It's less messy. Or are we going to look back at the way it started? Repent of sin. Grab a hold of the word, obey what he says, and pray the promises until we see what God does. Imagine what that might do for this church. Listen, imagine what that might do for your family. Imagine what that might do for your life. If you just get back to how it started. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? So the praying begins right? Here's the opportunity for us to get together to pray. You come up here, we get in this altar, sit on the steps, grab a hold of one of the altars, you can sit on the front seat or whatever, but 
If you're in that point in your life where you say, man, I got some problems and I got some things, but I need to get back to the where it started, where I just love God and do what he tells me to do and just get in the word and pray about it and let him work. You come on and let's pray over that. If you're here this morning, you say, man, I'm cut to the heart. And I realize I've been trying to improve my life when God's been trying to save it. And if I don't turn, I'm going to hell. I need to be saved. You come and there'll be some people standing here. They'll take the word of God. You just go to one of them and they'll show you how to be born again. But if you're here this morning, man, people are already coming and they say, God, I just want to get back to the way it started. The spirit of God will move and he will help you. So I'm going to pray. You just remain in the altar. Linda's going to sing and then we'll pray all together here in just a few moments. Heavenly Father, God, we pray, Lord, we want to get back to how it started, where we just loved you and we got in the word and we just preached and we prayed and we saw what you would do. Lord, we thank you for Linda. She's been such a blessing to this church. Thank you for the gift she's been. God, we pray you bless her in this next step of her life and ministry. God, we pray for her family that she so desperately wants to see come to Christ. Take her step of obedience and provoke their hearts to turn to Jesus. But Lord, we pray that we would also use this moment because we're, we're trusting to see what you might do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.